and pray over these topics, and then we are going to get into our psalm this morning. We are in Psalm 84, if you want to go ahead and open your Bible there now. We're in Psalm 84, but I'm going to pray as you are turning there. Father, we come before you, and we are so encouraged by the things that you are doing. Our church is healthy relationally. Relationships are growing. Discipleship is happening. And God, I am so encouraged by that. And we are encouraged to hear all of the great things that you are doing. But God, we pray that, that we would see more of those things. We are experiencing it, but we want to see others experience it as well. We want to see the lost saved in our community. And so we pray for that, God. We pray that, that you would send anyone and, and, and all, Lord, to go and share with those whom you are calling into a relationship with yourself. We pray, God, if you would be so kind to use us to witness to those who do not yet know you. We were those people at one point. We needed someone to come and share with us, and, and you sent someone. And so, God, I pray that you would use us as well and in that ministry to reach the lost in our community. I pray you would use our church. I pray you would use the other churches in our community. I pray that all of the churches in Canby would be healthy, vibrant, gospel-centered communities who are making disciples who make disciples. We pray for the Canby Center in our community, Lord, and pray for Ray and his team and, and everyone over there who, who are doing benevolent, hands-on gospel work. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the work of their hands and all that they are doing there. Provide for them above and beyond and all that they are seeking to do for your glory and this community's good. And we pray for our, our global partners, God. We pray that they would also be healthy and, and more disciples would be made. And we pray for our time this morning in your word and pray that we would be encouraged by it, challenged by it, and exhorted by it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 84, if you're taking notes, the title is Homesick for God's House. Homesick for God's House. Uh, in contrast to last week's theme, uh, where Dave, uh, one of our elders, he challenged himself and talked on one of the most difficult themes and psalms in all of Scripture, Psalm 88, uh, a psalm that's all about suffering and, and hopelessness. Uh, we're changing the tone this morning, and we're going to look at a psalm, just again a few psalms earlier, Psalm 84, and the theme is all about joy. So I, I chose the better part here, I think. Uh, Dave chose the harder one. But the theme of joy is grounded in something in this psalm, and we're going to see that the cause for this joy is when the believer finds his or her happy place to be in the house of the living God. God. So let's read it together, Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to Giddith, a psalm of the sons of Korah, he writes, verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, 
where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, then dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You." homesick for God's house. A few years ago, I guess it was more than that, it was about 15 years ago now, I helped to lead a team of students on a mission trip to New Zealand. Yes, we were suffering in the beautiful country of New Zealand. Uh, Not really. It was amazing. Uh, But it was my first time there, and as a fan of the Lord of the Rings, I found myself in constant awe and wonder over the beauty and subtle mystery of this amazing place. In fact, I do remember thinking, I know now why Peter Jackson chose this place as the backdrop for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It was insanely beautiful. And on our last day, about 12 days in, I noticed one of the students on our team anxiously crying. Now, up to this point, this young girl was joyful, smiles all the time. And here she was anxiously crying. And as I walked toward her, she was already being consoled by her friends. I heard her say to them with this desperate tone, I just want to go home. Now, for me, home was the last place on my mind. After all, how could I think of home when I'm surrounded by all of this beauty? To think of going back to life as usual when I'm surrounded by all of this wonder, home was the last place on my mind. But for this young girl, that was not the case. For her, after her short little pilgrimage as a stranger in this strange land, all she could think about was being home. She missed her parents. She missed her bedroom. She missed her dog. She missed her sister even. She missed the safety and security of a familiar place. She was homesick. She missed her house. And and I use that as an illustration to say that emotion, that intensity, that longing of, I just want to go home. Even, Even if everything around me is gorgeous and beautiful and amazing, her mind was drifted on this, and that same emotion is bubbling up in this psalm. But notice, the psalm isn't yearning for the comforts of his own house. He's not looking forward to going and sitting on his front porch or listening to the familiar sound of the wind chime at his house. No, the psalmist is longing for the better home in the house of God, 
which at that time would have been the temple of the living God, this place that God's people, the Jewish people, would go once a year and visit and worship. It was a beautiful building, unmatched by any other place at this time in history. The designs, after all, the architecture, were all made by God Himself. The building was covered in gold, constructed with costly materials. It was a wonder of the ancient world. But that wasn't the best part about this house. The best part was that God Himself promised He would be there. It was the place that, think about this, the omnipresent God, the God who said, I am not contained by anything, limited Himself in a space and time to be among His people in this place. And every year, no matter where they were, God's people would make a journey to visit the temple there, to worship the Lord in that place, to make sacrifices of thanksgiving and atonement for sins. It was a place where they would experience corporate worship. Now, I'll be honest, I'm very thankful that we live on this side of the cross where we don't have to go to a particular location or place to experience the presence of God. Instead, now the New Testament writers say God's people are His house. We are His temple that is being built up into a spiritual house. Yet that same imagery applies to us, right? We go and we gather with God's people and God's presence is uniquely there. Nevertheless, for them, they had to travel to a particular place. And so we, what we have here in this psalm is a meditation on the longing of one individual's desire, this child of God, to be in God's house. We, we see this motif in the first two verses. He says this, verse 1, "'How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts,' which means Lord of angelic armies. "'My soul,' he says, "'longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. "'My heart and flesh sing for joy.'" to the living God. Remember that young girl in New Zealand, she couldn't control her emotions because of her intense longing to be home. And the psalmist here in the same way is overwhelmed with thoughts and desires to be in God's house to the point that he says, I'm overtaken by physical desire. But it's not with sadness. He says, I'm, I'm overtaken with songs of joy. And, and what he does is he's going to explain why that is the case in the rest of the psalm. But before we look at all of the reasons he gives why he rejoices in being in the house of God, let me, let's just ask ourselves a few questions. Do you long during the week for corporate worship of the living God that we express week in and week out on a Sunday service? Or maybe I'll ask it, a little bit further out, a question a little bit farther out. Do you long for heaven? Do you long to be in eternity with God in His house? And, and I ask that question for us because most of us would say, oh my gosh, I'm so done. <laughs> I am ready to be in heaven. I'm ready to be with God for all of eternity. I'm done with this world. And, and why I bring that up is because if that's your longing, if that's your desire, it is for me, then we actually get a little foretaste of that week in and week out when we gather together. There is a, a connection, an, uh, an inseparable relationship between 
our desire for heaven and our desire for worship on Sunday services. We want both of those things to be in alignment. And so with that in mind, like I said, this psalm is about rejoicing in being in God's house. And, and again, we can come up with a hundred reasons probably why that is true, but the psalmist, he just gives us three main reasons why his soul is fainting and his heart is singing for joy. And we're just going to look at them together. The first reason is because God's house is for the weak and the restless. God's house is for the weak and the restless. We see this in verses 3 and 4. He says again, I'll read it to you, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And what, what's happening here is this masterful use of poetic imagery. You can almost picture the psalmist walking up to this beautiful building. Remember this architecture and, and the gold and just being in awe of it. And then all of a sudden, the psalmist noticed there is a bird living in the eaves, right next to the gold, and, and right next to that picture there it, are birds nested there. They don't, they don't care about how beautiful the building is. They look at it and say, wow, this is a great place to lay a nest. And he's saying to himself, wow, look at that. Even the bird has a place to gather in God's house. Now, for you Bible scholars, you know that the swallow in Scripture is often used to picture restlessness. And the sparrow is used to picture something that's useless and insignificant. And so what he's saying is restless, restlessness and, and also insignificance. Like if you feel that way, you have a place in God's house. For example, uh, Jesus uses the image of a sparrow in Matthew 10 to compare it with the value of human life. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? It's like they're, they're, they're worthless. And he says, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So what you're seeing happening here is the joy this psalmist has begins with this understanding that God's house, his home is a place for the weary and the restless. Those who feel unvalued by the world. You have worth in God's house. You have a place. You have a bedroom. You have a spot in His home. After all, if He cares for the sparrow enough to make a space for them and the swallow to nest there, certainly God has room for you. So that's reason number one. God, His house is for the weak, for the restless, for those who feel as though they have no value. God finds value enough to make space for you. Secondly, we see that God's house is a source of strength for the weary traveler. We see this in verses 5 through 8. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Essentially what he's saying is those who have a heart for pilgrimage, who are on the journey to your house. He says in verse 6, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. When they're going through difficult seasons, their joy is making this desert seem like it's a tropical paradise. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, meaning they're not getting tired as the journey goes on. They're getting stronger 
Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. As I said already, every year God's people, they would make this journey from far and wide to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And it wasn't like today, right? If we want to go across the state, we just get in our air-conditioned car, have our playlist set, and we have a comfortable journey all the way there. Unless you're me and your kids are just constantly talking to you, asking you, are we there yet? Are we there yet? But it, it is still a comfortable journey. Back then, you needed to prepare in advance because everything around Jerusalem is desert. So the most important thing that you need to prepare for is you need to know you have strength for the journey. However, what the psalmist is saying here is that the strength needed for this journey, it's not going to come from personal willpower, but from the Lord Himself. And He gives it to His people as they, when they're on their journey, set their minds on this glorious destination, on His house. In fact, the psalmist seems to imply that your joy increases as you journey on, turning the harshness of the desert into springs of water. And just as an example of this, uh, once a year I travel to Eastern Oregon uh, to what I call, well, what is really my annual camping trip, but I like to call it my hunting trip because um, I don't get anything. Anyway, I, I don't look forward to that long drive. I'm like, I don't want to be in a car for the next six to eight hours. I don't look forward to that drive. However, I do get a little excited when I get certain markers along the way. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. Even even in the flat area that you're going, and it's rather unimpressive, I get excited knowing I'm getting closer to my destination. And in one sense, that's the same attitude we ought to have when we're going through trials, when we have to persevere through the things that we're traveling through in this life, knowing that with each passing obstacle that we go through, we rejoice because we know I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer to my ultimate destination where I really want to be, which is in God's house. And the only way we can have strength to endure is when we have our joy fixed on the destination. It's the only way we're going to get through it. And that's what he is saying here in this part of the psalm. And what's even more glorious for us is we have pit stops along the way. Every week, every Sunday, every opportunity that we can gather here together is a reminder we're on the right track. We're going the right direction. It fuels us up for the journey to experience God's presence among His people. That's the second point, that God's house is a source of strength for the weary traveler. Third and finally, God's house is better than anything else in this world. God's house is better than anything else in this world. We see that there in verses 9 through 12. I'm not going to read it all again. You can just scan it yourself, but it's pretty clear that the psalmist has only one happy place in the world, and it is the courts of the Lord. In fact, he confesses without any real notion of exaggeration. He says, I, I would rather spend one day in God's house than a thousand days anywhere else. No tropical destination, no wonder of the world would I exchange one day in God's house if I could spend a thousand days there. Nothing is worth it to me more than being there. He wouldn't exchange it for anything. But he even notches it up a bit in the next line. He says essentially that 
in God's house, I'm even willing to take the lowest position possible in the house. Just make me a doorkeeper. I don't really care. I would take that over the highest position this wicked world has to offer me. And I think, in fact, this is helpful for us because it exposes a problem that all of us have. Because as Christians, we want to long for God's house in this way, don't we? As we're reading this, we think, man, I don't know if I have that longing. We want to long in this way, but we don't. Why? Because we often settle for the thousand days. We often settle for the temporal pleasures of a temporal world. And and I'm going to be honest with you, being a Christian, being a traveler in this world on pilgrimage to God's house means that as you're pursuing this great journey, you're going to have to make earthly sacrifices. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, which I suggest you should, this is such a major theme in that masterful book. But you will. You will have to make earthly sacrifices. Don't be confused. Salvation is absolutely free, purchased for us by the blood of Christ. But the journey is super hard. The journey is really hard. But here's what you have to keep in mind, what the psalmist reminds himself of in verse 11. The Lord will, or the world will offer you a thousand days. The, the world will offer you all these great things, and you think, man, I, I, what's God giving to me? And, and, but he says right there in verse 11, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Every sacrifice you make that this world has to offer, you're saying, you know, I'm not going to choose that. Instead, I'm going to choose this. I'm going to choose what God has for me. We might think I'm losing out and God is withholding some good from me. He's not withholding anything good from you. He does not withhold any good. It reminds me of a dialogue Jesus had with His disciples in Matthew 19. The disciples ask Him this ridiculous question. They say, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. What then are we going to have? And they're thinking, of course, like in this life. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, and then He goes on in the next verse, He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My name's sake, all those sacrifices you have made, you will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. There is nothing in this world that is worth holding on to, that God is saying, I'm not, I could beat that every day of the week, match it even greater. Or listen to the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things. God is not withholding anything from you. Every time God says no to something, it's because He wants to give you something greater. There's innumerable reasons we could come up with for why our souls should faint and our hearts rejoice to be in God's presence, among God's people, in corporate worship. However, I think those three things are certainly enough to challenge us, that God's house is for the weak and the restless. God's house gives us strength For the journey ahead and God's house is better than anything else this world has to offer. And the reason why any of us can say this is because we know God has already given us the greatest gift of all, the gift 
of His anointed Son, whom the psalmist actually alludes to here. When he says, look on the face of your anointed, we know that the anointed is Jesus Himself. And when God looks on His face, He looks upon us with atoning grace. Why don't we pray and then we'll have a time of communion together. God, we come before You and we are thankful to be gathered as Your house, as Your spiritual body, as Your people whom You have chosen to dwell with in the person of Your Holy Spirit as You come and live inside each one of us individually, but as You come and live inside of us corporately as a body, uniting us together. We are a a small little expression here in this local church of a bigger reality that you are building your church all around the world through space and time. And one day we will be in your presence, worshiping you, experiencing the beauty of holiness, and we'll be done with this broken world and we will experience all things made right again. Help us while we're on this pilgrimage and this journey to keep our eyes fixed on you, on that perspective, on that reality, in order that we might have strength for the journey. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're transitioning to a time of communion, then afterward we will have a baptism. Uh, But this is something that we as Christians do by faith. A part of our Koinonia Sunday is fellowship, and and another word for that is communion. Uh, We have community together through the body of Christ. This is something that we do by faith to remember that it's through the body and blood of Christ that we have forgiveness of our sins, that we have access into God's presence. And so that is what we are celebrating. This is also a time, though, to examine ourselves. And as we consider these things and as we consider the journey that we are on, maybe it's a great time to think, man, I I don't know if I'm on the right path. I I took an exit here and now I'm kind of lost. I need to get back on the path. And, And communion is a great time for us to confess and then recalibrate our hearts back to God. Or or maybe you've never given your life to Christ before. Maybe you're just still figuring it all out. And my encouragement to you is to consider these things, to consider what Jesus has done for you. And if you have any questions, feel free to come up to me or any one of the elders afterward. We would love to talk with you about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. When the ushers pass out the elements and you uh, receive them, I just encourage you on your own time, uh, take them. And when everyone is served, Brandon will get up and uh, we'll have the baptism. But why don't I go ahead and pray for us? God, we come before you once again and we thank you for the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and this opportunity that we have to remember the price that was paid for the forgiveness of our sins and that it's only through Jesus that we have access into your house And to some, that sounds limiting. We're just thankful that you made a way where there was no way. And Jesus is that way, and we put our faith and trust in Him. And so we're thankful to have this time together, and I pray that as we do so, it would not only bind us to you, but bind us to one another in fellowship. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.